0: for you today is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 6. So, I'm really grateful, Alex, that you got the, uh, thank you, I'm grateful that we eventually like, we always double click, I click, he clicks, then I click, then he, it's okay. It's funny to like three of us. Um, Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 6. Prophet writes, "Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money, come buy and eat. come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promise to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm going to tell you a secret today. Are you ready? And it's not just because I'm whispering. I feel like that goes really well, though. But I am going to tell you a secret. It is the reason why revival happens. I don't mean the kind of revival you put on a calendar and say, revival happening next Thursday. Hope it does. But you can't plan it. I'll tell you the secret why revival happens, why there's been movements of God throughout human history, and also the secret to why the American church has been in decline for the last 50 years. Are you ready? Okay, good. One of you is ready. So I'm a history guy. So I look back at history, and I see these different movements. And I, I want to ask, like, what is it that's the common thread between them? What is it that makes them go? You know, in, in these movements in church history. But what is it that, like, the early church got that we didn't get? What is it that happened in the book of Acts? that the American church of like 1994 did not get? Or 2023, I was thinking for a minute. What is it that they had that we do not have? This movement, explosiveness, and power, what is it? What is it that the Desert Fathers, these guys would go out in the wilderness, lock themselves in caves, and just pray and fast, and then they'd share meals together, and just I just finished this book, it's called The Wisdom of the Desert, a compilation of sayings from these guys in the fourth century, it's weird. It's bizarre. But it's amazing how the Lord preserved a remnant of people through him. At a time when in the Roman Empire, Christianity became the state of religion. And it became so popular that the level of discipleship, which we talked about, just kind of dropped. What is it that made that go? And then, you know, what you like that? Kind of, what is it? that launched like the monastic movement in the sixth, seventh, eighth centuries with Saint Benedict. I mean, what is it that you get this guy like, that's Augustine, this guy like Augustine in the fourth, fifth centuries, and then later Thomas Aquinas and these scholars in the Middle Ages that are typically called the Dark Ages, and yet they've been the foundation of modern philosophy and thought for over a thousand years. I mean, what is it that prompts a guy like Martin Luther to lead this movement that changed the landscape of Europe and thus the world? What is it that inspired John Wesley and George Whitefield and this movement that became the first Great Awakening in England and America? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people whose lives were dramatically changed by power and by the Word of God. What is it that led a guy like, that's Charles Finney if you don't know him, great revivalist preacher in the 1850s, to to, what is it that touched men like that that led to the Second Great Awakening in England and America? I mean, what is it that has led to the Pentecostal explosion in the world today, right? If missiologists will say that like the average Christian in the world is a 20-something Sub-Saharan African woman, just by pure population numbers. It's not like a white American. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Christianity is exploding in the Global South and Pentecostals, I mean, what is it? Is there a common thread? I mean, is this right doctrine? Do they have the right answers? Is it that um, they have the right practice? You know, they pray a certain way, they sing certain kinds of songs. What is it that's the common thread? That's the question. God comes where he's wanted. You want to know the reason that all these things haven't come at I me? Mean, Presbyterians, Catholics, Methodists, non-denominations, all denominations, doesn't matter. You want to know what the difference was? God comes where he's wanted. And this is just my opinion, take it or leave it. The reason why the American church has been in decline, and is still in decline in a lot of ways, it's because God comes where he's wanted. And we're so self-satisfied, and we're so self-righteous, we don't want him. And we don't need him. And he's okay with that. If that's the way you want to live your life, God is entirely happy to let you have your way sometimes. Which is both an amazing gift and an incredibly scary thing too. To me, it's like, well, we'll come back to this. It's like on Thanksgiving, right? Anyone like Thanksgiving? It is like my favorite holiday. In part because of the food. I love to eat. I love food. So, Thanksgiving. The thing is, like, we had breakfast early, um, got quite full on breakfast. Then immediately, it was partly my fault. Like, I thought we were doing dinner at Wendy's family's house. We were doing we were doing lunch. So we had like a big breakfast, and then we had a big lunch, and then I was done. You know, I was done. Like, I was completely ineffective for the rest of the day. I was like laid out, just exhausted, just like, just go ahead and you know <laughs> take me now. Um, all I was good for was napping. But it's like that, right? If you're already full, then you're not hungry, right? You have no more space to put stuff. And I think for a lot of us, we are so full that we're not hungry and we're not thirsty for what really matters sometimes. Okay, so I'll to say is that we're in the midst of this series right now where we're talking about um, God's vision for the church and his vision for us as followers of Jesus in the 21st century and then more particularly for us, like as Kendrick's Creek, how we want to live that out, okay? How we want to be followers of Jesus in this world. And the, the term we used for that was missional discipleship. People who were abiding deeply with Jesus and living sent on mission by him into the world every single day. Right? This is just, the, again, Acts. This was life. <laughs> they didn't have fancy terms for it. They called it just following Jesus. These two things joined together. Anybody like this chart last week? I put it up here just for you chart lovers. Ye chartless few who did not like it um, must suffer more charts, you know. But no, I like it. And just as a reminder, right, we're talking about mission is kind of this outward orientation, presence, this upward orientation of the Lord, and formation, this inward orientation to what, what our inner world, our inner life is like. And there's really the overlap of all of those things. Grounded in the presence of God, that's where you find real life. And the kind of discipleship that the New Testament talks about. And so we talked about that Jesus' way of life has essentially four parts. This isn't perfect. It's not all comprehensive. But if you look at what he did, there's about four categories that you could kind of label it into. And the first is seeking growth in the love of God, using disciplines to practice his presence, sharing fellowship with others, and engaging God's mission. This week is seeking growth in the love of God. You with me now? Are we properly orientated to everything that's going on? Good. Okay. So the key question underneath underneath that, seeking growth in the love of God, is essentially this. What do you want? What do you want? The biblical language for this is hunger and thirst, right? We read that in Isaiah, about being hungry and being thirsty. It's about desire. It's about what you want out of life. It's about what you want as a human being. And it's about where you take your hunger and your thirst. The truth is, being honest with this question is really hard. Because if I say, what do you want? And do you long for more of God in your daily life? Some of us would like, some of you are jumping in the seats. Some of you, I was telling Terry before, it's like, if I have to, I can run on these seats and jump up and down and it'll be great. Now, some of you like, real Pentecostal, like that's, that's familiar for you. Um, some of you like, that's your, you just shouting arms up in the air, yes, more Jesus. Some of you... If you're honest, that's a no. Just be honest. I mean, you don't have to tell me. You have to tell the person beside you. You have to lean over and whisper to your neighbor. You don't have to do any of that. Don't know what you're missing, though. Yeah, but be be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. What do you actually want? And do you want more of Him, really? Some of us, a lot of us, we sort of want it. But mostly, we want to want it. We wish we wanted it more. But our daily lived experience is that, you know, I don't know, I just got a lot going on, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'd, I'd rather watch Netflix. I'm binging this series right now on cooking shows, just legit, loving it. We're loving some cooking shows right now. But, like, what do you actually want? And do you long for more God? That's really the question underneath this. Um, there's three parts to how we're gonna address this. And the first is we're gonna look at God's world, which is reality as it is. We're gonna look at our problem and God's invitation into that. And so I wanna start with acknowledging that for a lot of people in the world and in our country, the answer to that question, do you long for more of God, is, in a, is a resounding no. And I got a lot of feedback last week on like, people saying like, oh that was such a good sermon, that really connected, it really hit, it just, it was very good, I appreciate that, probably because I could talk, that was helpful. <laughs> But I was really thinking, like, what is it that made a difference? I mean, not me, mostly. I acknowledge that. But I think one of the things that was helpful is just acknowledging, like, when I shared that quote from that guy, Nick Wright, the sportscaster, who said that he was envious of the fact that people could pray um, and that he didn't feel like he could because he didn't know that he believed in God and he was envious of people that could, I feel like that helped because I, I think it helped us to realize that not everyone thinks, acts, and believes the same way that we do. And there are a lot of people, especially a lot of people in younger generations who do not want God. So a couple quotes, because I love some quotes. This is actually, I pulled this just randomly, just did some Google searches, found this on billygram.org, a Q&A. Someone just sending a question to Billy Graham. So clearly, you know, well, not anymore, but to his website. They said, I'd like to believe in Jesus and go to heaven and all that but would I have to give up my freedom? Maybe I'm just a control freak, which my girlfriend says I am, but I don't like the idea of anyone telling me what to do or how to live, not even God. Just be honest. That's the way a lot of people approach this. That Christianity, and I mean, I've heard this a lot, that Christianity, especially, sorry, I'll get it out eventually, but especially people who grew up in the church here under a particular kind of way of church, you know? And so they think that what Christianity is primarily about is about someone telling me what to do and me following the rules and checking the boxes and out of duty and obligation, if I do all, enough good stuff, then I'll get into heaven and all that. But then there's a lot of people who say, I don't want that. I want to make my own decisions. I want to live my best life. Who are you to tell me what to do? I can, feel, I can find my own truth. Thanks very much. Dr. Tom Noggles, a philosophy and law professor at NYU, he said this, and I think it's really helpful for us. He said, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God, and I don't want the universe to be like that. Just, we gotta be honest. That is the posture of people who do not believe in him, Generally speaking, they do not want to. Now, sure, I'm not saying that to be like critical, and I'm not saying that to be condemning in any way, because remember we talked about last week, our heart towards people who may not think, act, and believe like us is what? It's compassion. First and foremost, compassion. That we would, we, we, Jesus' point was, he looked out on the crowds, and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd do not have a guide in life. And Jesus' point is, I came to be the good shepherd. I am the guide of human life, all right? So listen to my voice. just wanted to share that because I think it's a foundational way of thinking about the way the world thinks about this, okay? So when you, when you assess reality, though, which is what God's world and his kingdom are, it's just reality at a base level. We hear things like Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Right, that God's world is his world, you know? Does not belong to me? It's not up to me to make my own decisions about how to live my I can, out of his grace and mercy, he lets us make choices to develop our character, to help us to become people of genuine love. But at the end of the day, it's not just about me doing whatever I want. It's his world, and we belong to him. But with that, too, is like this posture that Isaiah talks about, um, which is the attitude of God towards people, Right? You were made to worship. You were made to want things. To be made in the image of God means that you want things. Among many other parts. is like you have desires and hunger and thirst. And what Isaiah gets at is that that's true. So he says, come you who are thirsty in the waters. Come if you're hungry and eat without cost. He says, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. It's like sitting at like the best Thanksgiving banquet you can imagine. Another place Isaiah describes it as like aged wine and rich meats and just a feast at the Lord's table. And it's free. That's his point. That's just the way the world is. Jesus put it like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That when your orientation for your hunger and thirst is to God's kingdom, you will be satisfied. Sound good? Yeah. It's like the song we sang, which is a great song. I actually thought about it this week. I didn't tell Josh, but then I picked it. The goodness of God. It's so foundational for our thinking and for our lives. Like if you understand that God is good and his world is good, it will change the way you live your life. Because you're not going to be able to mess it up that bad. You can make a lot of mistakes. But there's no mistake that's unrecoverable. If you truly believe that he is good and that he loves you and that he'll work all things out for your good in the end. Keep in mind that hunger and thirst is biblical language about desire and worship. And I think that's the struggle for us and what Isaiah is pointing to. When he asks this really important question, you may have noticed it when you read it, maybe not, But he says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? You've got it all. You have the richest feast in front of you. So why do you go to the corner, why do you go to Zoomers and buy one of those, like, anyone like gas station subs? It's okay, you can admit it privately if you have to. You can confess your sin at the altar later if you must. But, like, why? Why would you do that when there's like a 12 course steak dinner laid out before you, why do you go to the gas station and buy a crappy sub? Like why? That's Isaiah's question. Why do you work so hard for stuff that doesn't actually fill you up? I mean, rarely do I feel good after binge watching Netflix. Rarely does anyone feel good after repeatedly failing to make money on DraftKings. Rarely does anyone feel good after spending the entire day just watching football. Rarely does anyone feel good when they live their entire lives for themselves, right? And yet we do it anyway. No one feels good the day after just going off on a bender and just getting hammered drunk. No one feels good the next day. And yet they'll do it again and again and again, and again, why? That's the question. Jeremiah put it like this. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the font of living water, and you've dug for yourself cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold any water at all. So a little bit of geographic, cultural, historical illustration might be helpful. In in the Old Testament, we talk about living water. It means running water, right? Right? I wish I put up a picture of a cistern. I thought about it and then I didn't do it. But a cistern is basically like a very, very large cavern that was either dug into the ground or into a cave wall that was designed to hold water, running water, when it would come, in the desert, which is pretty rare, but on those occasions when it did, the cisterns would collect water and hold it and that that could be used later on as a fresh water source. It's very good if you live in a desert, right? So, Jeremiah's point, you're standing beside a fresh spring of cool, running water. And you turn around, you go over here, you dig a hole, you try to seal it, but you do a bad job, and so it can't even hold any water. Why? That's his question. It's a good question. You know, why do we do that? Um, C.S. Lewis put it like this he said it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea we are far too easily pleased one of the answers is that at its core we take our hunger and we settle we choose lesser desires. There's the things we want at a very deep level, like I wanna be a good dad. I wanna be a good husband. I wanna be a faithful pastor who loves and shepherds people well, like I want those things. But then there's other desires that come up and all of you know what this is like, right? Maybe you say, you know, I wanna be someone who loses 20 pounds this year, some New Year's resolutions, you know? But then come week two, those Oreos are calling, man what are you going to do? And your desire for the Oreos is stronger than your desire to be a healthy person and pick up your grandkids. But it's not a better desire. It's just stronger in the moment. You see what I mean? I like the, the other way of explaining this with something that I think we all can relate to, which is Frenchie fries. Anybody love some Frenchie fries? Come on. Who likes cheddar rounds better? come on. Just checking, making sure you guys are like good people. You know? So the the problem with Frenchie Fries is that they're really good. They taste really good. Uh, But Frenchie Fries have a lot of salt. They have sugar, did you know that? It's part of why they're so addictive. They actually put sugar in the seasoning. On to them. The problem with Frenchie Fries is that they are too good. And like when I'm hungry and I go get Frenchie Fries, I will eat them because I'm hungry but I never eat a bag of large Frenchy fries and feel good after it. I have never in my life been like, man, that was so satisfying. Have you, I mean, maybe you have. Maybe I'm just weird. But I have never felt good after that. We take our desires and we settle for lesser things. See, I didn't even work in La yet this week. I pulled in some other restaurants, you know, trying to, trying to spread the love. So I'm told Aldi is the place to go after church, I don't know, this is what I heard. John Eldred says it like this. I find this helpful. He says, when it comes to the moral question, it's not simply whether we say yes or no to desire, but always what we do with desire. Christianity recognized that we have desire gone mad within us, but it does not seek to rectify the problem by killing desire. Rather, it seeks the healing of desire, just as it seeks the healing of every other part of our human being. The Buddhist would say, desire must be eliminated. Jesus says your desire must be healed. It must be brought under his lordship. You were made to want things. Psalm 27, right, David says this one thing I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. We are made to want. We are made to seek. We are made to desire and to pursue. It's a God-given gift. But it must be healed like the rest of us. Susanna Wesley, the father of John and Charles and 16 other kids, or 15 other kids, there were 17 total. It's a lot of kids. (laughs) Stay at home mom who had more of a difference on American Christianity than possibly anyone who has ever lived. Here is a woman who was a stay at home mom living in England in the 1700s who reshaped the destiny of nations. Isn't that amazing? Because she wanted to. (laughs) She wanted the Lord. Susanna Wesley said this, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in and of itself. It is about the healing of desire and making us whole. The problem is we need to want what God wants and not necessarily what we want right now. What we want most needs to become the governing feature of our life rather than what we want now. We want to be happy, we want to find pleasure, we want to experience X, Y, or Z. And yet the invitation from scripture is come to me and you will have all that and 10,000 times besides. Anyone know what this is? Snickers bar. Snickers bar, right? Okay, so what's the slogan? Hungry? Somebody finish this. Hungry? Yeah, why, wait? Grab a Snickers, right? Somebody, right? Grab a Snickers. What's the problem with that? Again, right, if I'm hungry, some of you are like getting hungry, you want a Snickers right now. If I'm hungry and I grab a Snickers one time, is that a problem? No, I'll be fine. If I'm hungry every afternoon at 3 p.m. and I grab a Snickers every day at 3 p.m., and I eat said Snickers every day at 3 p.m., is that a bad thing? It might become one, to be honest, just full disclosure, see your doctor, but it could become an issue. If every time I'm hungry, I grab a Snickers, what will that do to me? It'll make me really sick to start, right? And eventually, it will literally kill you. Snickers doesn't advertise that way. Hungry, eat in moderation or else it will kill you. They don't say that. Now, it doesn't sell stuff. But keep in mind, they're selling you stuff. They don't care about you. They just want your money in exchange for their sugary candy. That's all they want. Why do you satisfy yourself? I don't know. The point is, is that this is a Snickers bar. But we do the same thing existentially all the time. You're hungry, you're lonely, you're tired, you're feeling abandoned, you're sad. What do you do with that? Sure, it's not a big deal. If one time you binge on Netflix, if one time you take a drink to feel better, if one time you turn to whatever to comfort you, it's not gonna kill you. News flash. If you do it every single day, At 3 p.m., it's not going to be good for you in the long run. Eventually, it's really going to hurt you. If you do it all the time, it will kill you. And it will kill your soul. (laughs) That is a serious problem. So hunger and thirst and what you do with it actually really does matter. That is the Snickers conundrum that Paul talks about in Romans 7. (laughs) He says, I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but I do the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there within me and I cannot do the good that I want to. That's his point. We are at war with ourselves and it is the human heart that is the battleground. You like this chart? I pulled this out for you chart lovers. I drew this. It is not the best, but it's helpful. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 is guard your heart for, above, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart above all else for everything you do flows from it. The philosopher Charles Taylor talked about this idea with what he called the cross pressures of the buffered self. Philosophers make up fancy words all the time. But all that means is something that all of us experience every single day. Is here's me or you and there's your heart. See it in the middle? My thing's going out, but you got it. There's your heart. You have cross pressures that are ripping you apart. You have your desire for the transcendentals, the good, the true, the beautiful. You have the Father's love. You have your conscience. You have your deep desires (coughs) within you. You have social conformity pressing another way. You have advertising. You have um, these these, worries and cares of life, as Jesus put it, that are pressing in another way. You have your sinful desires and your strong desires. You have the enemy and you have news. and then you have the word and you have the spirit they're just pressing on you look at that for a minute I'm going to take a drink of water I want you to just look at that with my water (coughs) it's okay you need that Think about your life there. Jesus wants you to live in intimacy with him. That's his desire for you. (coughs) Mike read it earlier. It was John 17, 23. I've given them the glory that you gave me. that They may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. I want to give those you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. (coughs) Jesus wants you and he wants your heart. And it's why he has this conversation repeatedly with people, right? He said, I am living water. If you come to me, you'll never thirst again. I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never hunger again, will never thirst again. The solution, Isaiah right, for our hunger, for our thirst, so like a deep soul level, is this. <coughs> Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. That the orientation of our hearts would be to the Lord, the source of living water. That in him you find fulfillment. In, and that will mean sometimes saying no to, to other things. But overall, it's a big yes to the Lord. A yes to delight in the riches of affairs. Adam Clark explained it like this. He said, seek the Lord because he may be found. Call upon him because he is near. Adam Clark was a a 18th century theologian, one of the key biblical interpreters of the Wesleyan revival. But his point was, God is good and God is here. God is good and God is here. And what that means is, For you in your life, whatever you want, God is good and God is here. Take it to him. (coughs) To take your desires to him, to take your wanting and your longings to him. And in the end, you will find satisfaction fulfillment there. Augustine, that great theologian, put it like this. He said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts, the source of our desire and our passions and our emotions, are restless until they find their rest in God. So, the invitation for all of us is to seek Him. And that's what it means to seek growth and love. This is characteristic of Jesus' way of life. That when you are hungry and thirsty, you do not grab the existential Snickers. Instead, you seek Him. You turn to Him. Doesn't mean you never have fun, doesn't mean you never watch Netflix, but it just means. You need to follow him and orient your life to him and then the rest of it will be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will be given to you besides. That's the invitation. All right, so Josh is going to come up and just strum a little bit. We're going to close out in prayer. Um, just want you to respond however you need to <coughs> to God. I'm going to stop talking. Silent prayer. I plan this. It's not because I'm dying up here. It's okay. Um, just to respond to God however you need to. If you want to come up and kneel, you can kneel. If you want someone to pray with you, just come pray with you. If you want to sit where you are and just pray, then do that, okay? Let's just invite you to a posture of prayer right now. Let's go to the Lord. of us who know people in our lives who just don't want you who have no desire to know you I pray that you give us hearts of compassion not judgment not pride not arrogance but deep compassion Jesus give us your heart for them the kind of heart that dies on a cross for them those who are enemies of God ask Lord that you would help us to see people like that not as enemies but as your dearly loved children who are like lost sheep without a shepherd. For those of us who are here and who maybe don't exactly want it per se, but we wish we did. We wish we wanted more. We wish we had stronger desires for you and for your kingdom. I ask, Lord, that you would give us grace in that give us the power to meet us where we are, to help us to do what we can't do on our own. Change our hearts, Lord. That we could want what we don't want right now. And that everything would just flow out of that place. And for those of us who are here who just need healing in some way, maybe our hearts have been hurt and we find it hard to want. We find it hard to trust you. I pray that you would meet us where we are and that you, the font of living waters, would bring healing to our hearts. Lord, you are near to the brokenhearted. You bind up their wounds. And I ask that blessing upon those here who need that today. And for those of us who may be just overflowing with the Spirit, I pray that you'd pour on more. And God, that for all of us, you would give us abundantly more than all we could begin to ask or imagine. We trust you and we believe in your promise and ask that you would send us forth to be your people. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.